All right. Why don't we get into the topic of the day? Yeah. The topic of the day is post post humanism, but now we're adding a new prefix. So it's what pre pre post post humanism. Pre post post pre post. So last week, Got that. I, ask, I just I just have a quick query on that. How so, many posts is too many posts? That's what I'm starting to wonder. How many posts? One Probably two is, is the one. Maximum. Are you saying one is too many? I mean, I think I think I think if you if you pushed it beyond two, it would be. I mean, it's already almost like at a level of parody with just two. I think two posts a day is okay, and more than that, you're you're pushing is it. That, is that your Twitter uh, recipe there? Uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta touch grass after two, two two posts a day, and then go outside. If you do touch grass, maybe you can come back for one. But anyway, last week. We had on uh, a guest who we're, we're fond of. We enjoy his company. However, I, I came away from the interview feeling a little bit like our guest had tracked mud on our, on our carpets, specifically Eric and Mai's carpet by using posthumanism in the way that he did. And we didn't actually get a chance to debate him. So we're doing the... The honorable thing and talking about him behind his back after he's gone. <laughs> yeah. You know, if somehow if, if somehow you're listening to this, Matt, uh, if you became a patron, you know, you're welcome to come back. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is the sort of thing we should have done this, like an after show. This is the delayed after show, basically. Well, we did. We did actually discuss, because uh, you weren't here, Matt, that in the future, I think when we have guests and, and, I, and you know, one of the first like successful philosophy, probably the first successful philosophy podcast, the Partially Examined Life. They don't have guests very often, but when they do have guests, they always do this format where they'll do like the first hour and a bit with the guest. And then they'll usually keep talking for like half an hour about like what they thought of the interview amongst themselves. And I feel like that would be like, we should just always do that if we have like an interview. They, they do long episodes <laughs> on stuff though. Or I oh, mean, we could do, I, I we could do a part two. I would have liked the interview to be a little bit more dialogic, but dispositions uh, prevented that from happening. So now we're gonna get in our takes at least. The episode did well, post -post even though even though yeah. some people commented that they found it very difficult uh, to keep uh, to keep yeah. up with. I mean, that's part of the worry too. Is we were dealing with some pretty like advanced topics that you'd get into in like graduate studies, and it's not yeah, always definitely. easy to simplify those things on the fly for people who might not be in the know. And then it can feel very sort of exclusive and alienating, which is not what we want to do, right? We want to uh, unify the subject and object in absolute self-knowledge. We don't want to alienate anybody, right? Perfect. Yeah. No contradictions. We have to <laughs> abide by it. A smooth surface with no breaks. Yeah. Neoliberalism is exclusive and alienating enough. We're not trying to contribute more of that to your day. Okay. So why don't we start at the top here? Uh, Flissfeder rejected post-humanism. And I think unfairly. And the reason for that is posthumanism is a very broad area of research, and he spoke to a very narrow band of it. And the narrow band that he spoke of is actually one of er Eric's areas of expertise, which I'm going to call ecological posthumanism. And he included what's called uh, speculative realism, but OOO which for the listeners means object-oriented ontology. 
And there's a f this w this used to be a big fad. Like when I started grad school, this was all the thing, and I think it's kind of died down. But everyone got jobs out of it, which is the thing that you want in philosophy. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's fragmented into various different things like speculative materialism, speculative realism, vibrant vatter, vitalism, and so on. It's so true, though. I remember there was a weird time between 2010 and 2015 where everybody I knew who did continental philosophy was talking uh, about object-oriented ontology. It was just like the hottest shit ever. Uh, and then for some bizarre reason, post-2016, it disappeared. I got introduced to um, Quentin Mayasu. He's He was mm. kind of the guy, he, he's kind of the guy who I think started, I don't, I don't want to say started it, but his book After Finitude mm -hmm. was kind of revelatory. And You know, the weird thing about that book is that I like that book. Uh, I don't really think it's a very well argued book. It almost, no. it always seemed to me like a really good manifesto for a bigger book that has yet to come. Uh, I mean, he's not that old, so I'm sure it will, but. Well, let's start off, let's start off with talking about his objection and we can frame it in this way because I don't want to go off into Mayasu's zone. We had enough name dropping on the last episode. So the, the main objection is you can't be a post humanist if you are a human because then there is a performative contradiction between, you know, your position as a human and then trying to decenter that position. He argues that you can't have that because it's a performative contradiction to kind of step out of your context and your positionality to appeal to a world that is less human-centered because your argument is always going to be human-centered. So that's his the main objection that drives the the paper and kind of his other work too, which is a shorthand, we'll just call it a Hegelian objection. Yeah, I mean, not to bring back the name dropping, but one of the very useful things about Quentin Mayasu's work that came out of it is the idea of correlationism, right? That is the main thing I think that a lot of other object-oriented ontologists and speculative realists and whatever name they go under, they started talking about this idea of correlationism. The, the sub, like You can only think about things that are already given to thought, right? That's, that's the kind of idea of correlationism. You can only think things that are already given to thought. And if you want to think something outside of the correlation, you can't really do that, right? Because then you'd be giving thought to where thought isn't. There is no thought outside of the correlation. And so Maya Sue's big criticism of, say, Heidegger or Hegel was that they are correlationists and they are strong subjectivists and that when they begin to talk about the other or being or things that are sort of resistant to conceptualization, you could even think of the Lacanian real, when we begin to talk about those things after describing, you know, the subject-object relation and the split between them and their eventual reconciliation or something like that, and then we suddenly would shift what Mayasu says. We kind of shift gears all of a sudden and start talking about the absolute other, something outside of the correlation, something that precedes it or exceeds it in some way, right? And then in that moment, we are committing a performative contradiction because we're giving thought to where there can be no thought. And in that sense, it's kind of strange to then see Hegelians using the performative contradiction because it seems to have first come in this form that's being used from Mayasu, and now they're turning it back around 
on Mayasu. So it's it's just kind of interesting to me to see that going kind of unexplained. I mean, the performative contradiction is much older than that even. It's just like a logical kind of thing before that. But now it's a grand sort of takedown of a certain kind of theory, right? And and it's not, but maybe it hasn't achieved a kind of um, self, self-awareness in, in its use in, in theory as, as, as I think Dr. Flissfader is using it. So I'd like to go, I'd like to go pretty slow here. Because last week we went really fast. So when we say correlationism, it means there's a correlation between thought and then the objects of thought. You, you and then the subjects things... and the things you think about are always subsumed by this correlation. It's a correlation. Right. Two things being related. They have to be already given to thought. Sorry. <laughs> and then there's another category of things that are outside of things that can be thought. So we're talking about the noumena. We're talking about the real. The thing in itself would be the first one. Yeah, so the absolute other. And, and when we want to talk about those things, how? The, the objection to posthumanism in this case is that he thinks that posthumanists are trying to jump using their thought to the into a place other. where there is no thought, which yeah, is like right. rocks, matter, that kind of shit. And you can see it in a lot of ways when when philosophers try to get at it. Like, you know, Heidegger's conception of being would be one of the primary offenders of this correlationist argument that Mayasu makes. He would commit a performative contradiction by talking about being. Or the same with Wittgenstein, right? He has this concept of mystical being or something like that, this kind of quasi-mystical concept. I think it comes more from his actually his later work perhaps but uh he he that's another way i, I forget this term that mayasu used it was so good it was like an operator switch where you push thought as far as it can go in, within the bounds of the correlation and then you suddenly flip this operator switch and you jump to this absolute outside of the correlation right all of a sudden you're out there talking about things that are no longer given to thought and this again is the performative contradiction and it's a it's performative because you're asserting it and it's a contradiction because it contradicts you can't think about what's not given to thought right so you can't do it so flissfader kind of uses this as a silver bullet to say we can't go the posthumanist route because they make this performative contradiction are we okay with that well, what is the performative contradiction that he accuses the posthumanists of making? That humans are excising humans from the relation of human thought. Well, and then who is he? Who does he talk about specifically? So I think like he does in the in the Jane second. Bennett and so in the o -O -O. second and third paragraph, I think of of the article, um, he mentions Graham Harmon. Uh, he mentions Quentin Mayasu. Yeah, uh, Jane Stephen Bennett, Shaviro, Rosie Berdotti. Right, and he, and he kind of like uses little examples of what they say to build his like his account of like um, of what he sees their view to be. 